Jared, if you're not familiar, I'm the pastor of our Access community here. Access is the young adult's expression of Resurrection Life Church. And so we're a community, we're passionate about pursuing Jesus, finding him for who he really is. And so this community is awesome. Welcome, you guys. I love being here. Uh, I just want to give a quick note about that last uh, announcement, baptisms. I'm like, I'm super serious and super psyched about Baptism Sunday this Sunday. And I seriously encourage you just to reiterate it is if you have not been baptized since you've believed in Jesus, since you've repented from your sin and said yes to following Jesus, if you have not been baptized, this Sunday is for you. It's for you. That's actually Jesus's command in the scriptures to repent and be baptized. That's the next step for a believer. And so if that interests you at all, and you're saying, man, I'm feeling it right now. Like I, I feel like I need to get baptized. Or if you're just looking at yourself, you're saying, man, I don't think I've been baptized since I've really given my life to Jesus. Come find me after service. We got some resources. We'd love to get you registered for this Sunday so we can celebrate together. It's going to be good. So today we kick off our series entitled Real Talk. And so over the course of this month, we're going to open up the conversation about sex and God. And this is kind of building up to our Sex and God conference, Real Talk, which is on February 10 and 11. And guys, I am just super pumped to be talking about this as an access community. How many of you guys know the, the world and every, it seems like everywhere else in the entire world is talking about this topic of sex, but we're getting jaded and disqualifying ideas we're getting disqualified perspectives on sex. So it's about time that the church rises up and we start having the conversations and we look biblically, we look to scripture and we look to God in order to define it for us. It's only then that we can actually start to pursue uh, freedom. But I'm, I'm especially excited because I know the group that's in this room. And I know one thing about you guys is that you guys believe wholeheartedly that God can redeem any form of sexual brokenness. You guys do believe it. And there's actually proof that you guys believe it. If you guys remember in December, we did a, a, a month wide giving initiative and it was called Heart for the Kingdom. And we were raising money for the House of Hope. And if you're unfamiliar, the House of Hope is a house of refuge designed to be a safe haven for girls who are saved out of the sex trafficking industry. And so for the month of December, this community access, we pursued and we actually gave of our finances toward one end. And that was freedom from sexual bondage, freedom from sexual brokenness. And we gave because we genuinely believed that if these girls could be saved out of the depths of their brokenness and actually brought into a real relationship with Christ. And not only brought into a relationship, but that they would go and actually spread the news of the gospel to the surrounding world, that they actually would be image bearers of Christ. And over the course of December, this community alone, like just these people in this room, this community, we raised over $36,000 from 50 separate donors in this room in order to fund this endeavor, right? And so I know, like, this community, like, we're in it. We believe it, right? We believe it. We have it in our heart that God can redeem any sort of sexual brokenness. And I just want to share quickly before we really get into it is we, we gave because we believed it could happen for somebody else. But sometimes 
I get this. I don't know if you guys get it, but it's actually sometimes easier for me to believe God for something in someone else's life rather than in my own life. It's easier for me to go up to somebody and, you know, pray a prayer of healing over their knee and say, and pray with full faith. And then boom, like they walk up and they're healed. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. But when it comes to my own back pain that I can't get over, somebody prays for me and I'm like, "Mm, oh, no, it's good. Oh, you don't have to pray again. No, it's cool. Like, you know, it's like, it's sometimes it's harder. And today I feel like God is leading us to, to take what we have shown to be true, what we've shown to believe that God can redeem anybody from any level of sexual brokenness and actually apply it to our own heart. That's where God is leading us today. We're a community that believes that there's nothing that the Lord cannot redeem and restore. He can redeem anything. And I look at this room and I just, I know, I know that you guys are right here with me. I know that you guys are passionate, that you guys have this heart posture. And like, honestly, I just want to speak candidly. I am like so proud of you guys. And literally, like, it's been such a joy to step into this role as the access pastor over the past four months and to like pursue this with you guys. Literally, I'm convinced there's like no other community like this in the world. And like the amount of life that I've experienced just from all of you guys and all of your friendship and watching you guys worship, watching you guys pursue Jesus, watching you actually take God at his word. It like, it literally, it it brings tears to my eyes. I just, I'm just so welled up with love for you guys. And so, it's so good. It's like literally one of the joy of my life is to walk in this role as pastor. And so, Tonight, we're going to talk about the topic of sex, but before we do, I want to give two quick disclaimers, two quick disclaimers. One, I realize that I am a 23-year-old single dude, and uh, so I'm preaching to you on the topic of sex right now, and uh, just going to address any thoughts that you might be having of like, man, who is this guy? Who gave him the mic or the authority to talk about this topic, right? He did. Amen, brother. So, but like, Honestly, these are the thoughts that are coming in my brain, right? That, that like the enemy has been attacking me with all week. Like, dude, who are you, bro? Who are you, right? And I just want to say this, one, to just remind the enemy, but then two, just to like put any of our fears to rest too, is two of the guys who actually talked the most extensively in the Bible about sex and sexuality, namely Jesus and the apostle Paul, uh, they were single their entire life. And so obviously, what, what warranted them to have the freedom to talk about such topics? It was, there was no pressure on their life to be something that they were not. There was no pressure. They didn't have to come up and muster up their own opinions or try to speak from some level of their experience. They spoke from his opinion and they spoke from the one who actually created it all. And so that's, my endeavor for us tonight. That's what I'm going to try to do. I'm not going to try to share my opinions or try to be somebody that I'm not, (laughs) right? God placed me here for a reason. I'm going to honor that. But then two, I'm going to lean on him and on his scriptures and highlight his opinions about this topic of sex. And I believe that he's going to bring us into a, a level of hope. So that's number one. Number two is I realize that this topic of sex can be a tough one for a lot of us to hear for varying reasons. 
And a lot of times the enemy tries to get us to compare our worst state with other people's best state. And so as I'm talking about this topic, you might be thinking to yourself, but Jared, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know all of these different things you're speaking. And, all of, and the enemy is going to try to bring thoughts of condemnation, thoughts of the, the past up to you tonight, right? But I just want to say right out of the gate, this, this message is literally for every single person. And I, my, my goal tonight is not to communicate shame, but actually to communicate hope. Hope. That's what I'm after tonight. This message is for every single one of us, whether we're avid consumers of porn, whether we've been taken advantage of or have taken advantage of others, whether we've engaged in premarital sex with opposite genders or the same gender, or we struggle with same-sex attraction, or we consistently fantasize and dream or have perpetual perverse thoughts. Like It doesn't matter where you fall on that perspective. We all need freedom. Every single one of us in this room has a bro- certain level of broken sexuality. And so let's just, let's just throw all of it aside, all the comparison aside, and let's look to Jesus and say, God, would you redeem us? God, would you set us free? Set us free in our minds. Set us free in our hearts. Because it's not about I've done this and he's done that, she's done this and she's done that. It's about, God, what do you say? What is your design? And what's your purpose? This message is not targeted. I'm not trying, it's not like a heat-seeking missile that I'm trying to send out towards certain levels of unholiness like inside of you. That's not my heart in, in sharing this message. I believe that this message is actually a centering message for all of us. And I say us because I'm literally walking on this road with all of you as well in pursuing this road of purity before the Father. And the reason why I say centering the reason why I say it's a centering message is it's actually an allusion to uh, pottery. And if you know pottery or uh, the art of making pottery, one of the first things you have to do is you have to take a lump of clay. You actually have to beat it and knead it so that all of the air bubbles are out of, uh, out of the clay. But one of the first things you do after that moment is you actually throw it down on a wheel in the center of the wheel. And before you even start to shape it, before you do anything, you have to center it in the middle of the wheel. And only when it's centered can you actually start to form and shape and mold it into something beautiful. And that's what I believe this message is going to be tonight. That God, through the Holy Spirit, he's going to take all of us, lifeless lumps of clay that we once were, right? He's going to take all of us and he's going to center us on the biblical truth surrounding sex and sexuality. And then the Holy Spirit, we're gonna make room for the Holy Spirit to come alongside and shape and mold us into something beautiful that's gonna bear witness of him to the world. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you, God. We thank you for this time. God, we thank you that you are the God of the impossible. Lord, that there is nothing, Jesus, nothing that is too hard for you. There is nothing too hard for you, Jesus. Absolutely zero. Lord, we come boldly and humbly before your throne. We ask you, Lord, for hearts that are able to understand your narrative surrounding sex and sexuality so that we can pursue you fully and represent your kingdom to this world. 
Lord, we love you, God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as we kind of, that was all kind of like the intro of our message here today. We're centering on the biblical truth surrounding sex and, sexu- sex and sexuality. So as we get started, I want to remind us of the mission statement here at Access. We heard it from Brian earlier, but we as an Access community, we exist to equip and mobilize young Christians in identity, evangelism, community, and the scriptures. And tonight, what we're really going to be doing is centering in on the topic of identity. And so we're going to start at the place of identity. So to look at who we were really made to be, we're actually going to go all the way back to the beginning and look at the first thing that God had ever called us. The first piece of identity that, that God ever gave humanity. And it's found in Genesis 1.27. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it's coming up on the screen. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what was the purpose of mankind? As revealed in this verse, what was the purpose of mankind? To be image bearers of God. That is the purpose of mankind. That's why God made humanity, was to actually reflect his image in the, wor- in the world and in the earth to carry his image and, re- and likeness and represent that image to the surrounding world. So everyone say this with me. Everyone say it with me. Say, I am, I am. an image bearer, image bearer of God. One more time. Come on, here we go. I am, I am. an image bearer, image bearer of God. And so this is what God had set out from the beginning. This is what he establishes, Genesis one twenty seven. But any truth that we feel like God is showing us in the Bible, it's going to be corroborated or built up or supported by both an Old Testament scripture and a New Testament scripture. God is faithful to the whole counsel of his word. And so any biblical truth is going to be found both in the Old and the New Testament. And that's exactly what we find. Romans 8 verse 29 says the same thing. It says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So before we were ever formed in our mother's womb, God knew us and deeply desired that we would bear his image to the surrounding world. Say it with me again. I am an image bearer of God. So I was thinking about this image bearer of God. It sounds like really good and philosophical. I'm like, yeah, you know, we just said it three times. You know, there's a lot of studies that say if you say something three times, you're going to remember it. So uh, we just said this one. I'm like, okay, image bearer of God. I know this. I know this. I know this. But I'm thinking last night, I'm like, how do I describe like what it means to be an image bearer? Like what, is, what does that actually mean to, to bear someone's image, to bear someone's likeness? Like how, what does that mean? And I feel like the Lord reminded me of a story. So I, I grew up here at Res Life Church, grew up, um, and my parents are deeply involved in this church, right? My mom is actually on staff at this church, and she's more commonly known as Mrs. Sparkle Shine, okay? That's just her nickname, okay? So I was the son of Mrs. Sparkle Shine, right? And so 
I am a young kid. I'm the youngest of five boys, if you didn't know that. Youngest of five boys. So I'm, I'm this little scrawny kid, even now, like not the biggest guy, you know, working on it, but not the biggest guy. So I'm like thinking to myself, okay, I, I got to be a man, you know. And I'm growing up in this church, and I'm like, you know what? I'm the last of the Blau camps. I'm going to be really good at sports. I'm going to pursue all these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the man of God. Like, I'm going to be a man, right? But every single time I'd walk into this church, I'd see some old lady, and she'd look at me walking with my mom, and she'd come up to me and say, oh, Jared, you're so cute. You look just like your mother. And I'm like, what? Like, that's not helping me out at all. I'm like, okay, that's just one lady. And I turn around and like, man, Jared, of all your brothers, you just look the most like your mom. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, this can't be true. This does not relate to me. I'm like, I was in denial. I was in denial, in denial. And so, um, around when I was like about 18, so now I, you know, gotten over that, you know, finding, trying to find my identity, masculinity, all that stuff, I'd gotten over it. But when I was about 18, my mom, it was my mom's birthday, and she started breaking out all of these old pictures of her at the time. I didn't have a mustache at the time, right? But she starts breaking out all these, all these pictures, and there's one of her high school graduation. And I remember looking at it, and we're like, all just centered around it. We're like, oh, mom, wow, like, whoa, like, that's what you look like? That's so different. Like, that's so cool, right? And so then I go to the bathroom. I'm washing my hands, and I look up in the mirror. And I go, those old ladies were right. They were right. And so what does it mean to be an image bearer? It means to actually bear the resemblance of someone else. Like these ladies, they looked at me and they could say, wow, I know who your mother is because I can see it in you, right? But then there was other certain areas of my character, right? My fun, my exuberance, my like jumping up and down and just like, you know, all this different stuff that really resembled the sparkle shine from my mom as well. And so you get this idea. Somebody could look at my physical resemblance and they could say, ooh, I know who your mother is. But they could also see the way that I acted and say, wow, I know who your mother is. And this is what it means for us to actually bear the image of God. Do we realize that when God said he made man in his own image and likeness, that there's actually a certain physical aspect of us that actually resembles God? That the devil and all demon power, when they see us walk into a room, they have to do a double take because they're like, oh, oh, I kind of thought that was God. Like, that's, whoa, okay, okay. No, that's just, that's just Adrian, bro. That's just, that's just Jared. That's just Amadeus, you know? So there's a physical aspect in, of being made in the image of God. But then also, we're called to carry his likeness, which is his character. How we think, how we act, how we speak, how we carry ourselves. It should tell the world one thing. Wow, I know who his father is. I know who his father is. This is what it means to be an image bearer of God. This is what God had set out from the beginning for us to be image bearers. Now, you might be asking yourself this question. Okay, so why are we centering so much on identity? And why are we talking about image bearers of God from the get-go of like a, a series on sex? Like, wh- why is that? Why is that? Because I, I firmly believe that the Lord wants us to lift our eyes from the cultural's perspective of the purpose of your life. Culture all around us is screaming that you were made 
to fulfill every single desire that comes up in your, in your heart and in your life. And I want to preach this message and really just one main point that I want to get across tonight and want us to stick in this brain. And this is the one point that I want to speak, but I want the Holy Spirit to actually allow sink into our hearts. Ready? This is it. You were not made for sex. That's not why you were made. You were made to be an image bearer of Christ, to represent his likeness to a world that's dying and broken. That's what we were made for. You were not made for sex. And we can actually see this play out in the beginning, all the way in Genesis, in Genesis chapter two. So you flip one page. We were just in Genesis 127. Now we're in Genesis two. And we see this narrative play out of God creating male and female in more intimate detail. We talked a little bit about this during our, um, our spirit of truth conference or uh, spirit of truth series. Remember when we talked about how God scooped up a lifeless lump of clay and how he molded it and shaped it into the form of a man, but he was lifeless. And then he breathed the Holy Spirit inside and it became a living being. This is the narrative that we find in Genesis 2. So God creates Adam. He creates this living being, but we have to understand one thing that God actually created Adam and there was actually a period of time where Adam existed with God the Father before Eve ever came on the scene. Genesis 2.15 points out this fact. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden east of Eden to tend and to keep it. Adam had a job. And his purpose, we see revealed, being an image bearer of Christ was now to represent his kingdom, represent his image in the world by tending this garden, the Garden of Eden. Like he existed and God was actually well pleased with his life before there was ever a female on the earth. I'm gonna say it again, you were not made for sex. But, we see almost a converse or almost an opposite narrative play out. After a period of time, God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Now this, this kind of made me scratch my head. Why? Why, Why was it not good for man to be alone? Did, did God create Adam in a position of lack or of need? That's, that's almost heresy to say like God created something and it actually wasn't perfect in its beginning, right? He didn't do that. Or it, did God, f- and was this lack that maybe existed in Adam related to his sexual needs? Like, did, did God foresee the rampant sex drive? Did, did God not foresee the rampant sex drive that was found in Adam? And then all of a sudden he's like in this conundrum and he's like, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come quick. Oh my gosh, dude, I, have, I had no idea that, that that sex drive that we created in Adam, I had no idea it was gonna be like this. Um, uh, oh, uh, let's uh, put, put Adam to sleep, put Adam to sleep. Yep, okay, yeah, that's a good plan. And then we'll take one of his ribs. Yep, and then, and then, then we'll make woman. Okay, yeah, wow, a good idea, Holy Spirit. I can always count on you. Like, that's not the narrative. That's not the narrative that we find in scripture. 
Like, what was the reason for, for woman to be created? What was that reason? I can tell you one thing. It was not to be an answer to an, a man's unruly sex drive. That was not it. That's not why God created woman. So then, it leaves us with the question, still, why was it not good for man to be alone? Why was it not good? Adam, being made in the image of God, he needed an individual to love self-sacrificially. That is why it was not good for man to be alone. Just as God created mankind so that he could pour out his love on them self-sacrificially, God created Eve to be the object of Adam's self-sacrificial love. Do we understand that? Genesis 2.15, we don't know how long this existed, but I imagine Adam and God, Adam and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they're walking in the cool of the day and they're tending the garden. They're dreaming about where this earth would actually go with both of them working together to establish his kingdom on the earth. They're dreaming and the Father is pouring out his love on Adam. And, and Jesus and the Son is pouring out his love on Adam. And the Holy Spirit, they're all in unison, in this beautiful unity. They're walking together in the cool of the day. And Adam is this recipient of the love of God. And it fills him up. It starts from the bottom. And, and it fills him up all the way till he's overflowing. He's overflowing with this deep, immense love of God. And in this overflow of the love of God, God says... He needs a place for all of that love to go. He, just like me, needs a recipient of that love. So God puts Adam to sleep, takes a rib out of his chest, forms a woman. And the most beautiful thing was ever created. Adam, now, with Eve, has someone to lay his life down for, has someone to pour out this self-sacrificial love that he's been receiving from the Father for so long. Who knows how long? And Eve now has the opportunity to love and serve and respect Adam with an undying and an unending love that she herself is receiving from the Father. I want you to hear this. God did not create woman out of need, to meet some type of need. He created woman to receive an abundant type of love. That's why God created. And it's from this abundant type of love where two, a man and a, and a woman, come together, having both received the Father's love in and of themselves. Now they get to pour that love on one another. And it's from this place of fullness, security and identity and abundance of the Father's love that we find the purpose of sex. We're not made for it. We're made to be image bearers of Christ, but it does serve a purpose. Genesis 2, verse 23 through 24. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, 
man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is the purpose of sex. The expression of this beautiful type of gift that God has given humanity being sex, this expression, it achieves one purpose, and this one purpose is oneness. Oneness. That the two separate beings, when they come together, would be the most beautiful miracle that creation had ever seen. Two separate beings becoming one, body, soul, and spirit. And through this oneness, Adam and Eve get to represent the image of God together to a lost and dying world, to a world that has never seen it. And so the purpose of this oneness, the purpose of this oneness for us today, this purpose for our oneness and with our spouse currently or with our future spouse, this purpose is to represent Christ and become a living reflection of Christ in the church. This oneness experienced through sex is meant to drive us and fuel us to self-sacrificial love that makes the world wonder. And engaging in this self-sacrificial love, we represent the love that Christ had for the church. Now, obviously I'm not married, but from what I've heard, Marriage is pretty hard, and I, I, think, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to, f- to figure that out. Actually, it actually overtly says in the Bible that marriage is going to be hard. Uh, I'm getting a nod from Joe over there, so this is awesome. First uh, Corinthians 7, verse 28, it says that those who marry will actually have trouble. First Corinthians 7, 28, this is in your Bible. It says, those who marry will have trouble. That, that's actually a promise, that's a promise. Now, how many, I, we, we hear these songs all the time and we even hear these verses, right? Like, and they're powerful verses. I'm not trying to diminish these verses or these songs, but like all your promises are yes and amen. We sing those songs. All your promises are yes and amen, right? I'm like getting in my Southern feels when I get those, hear those songs, right? But this is actually one of the promises of God that in, in our marriage, in our union with our spouse, like we will have trouble. But this trouble is actually not something we should be afraid of and not something that we should make light of. Because it's through this trouble that we actually have an opportunity to shower self-sacrificial love on our spouse. And in doing so, the world around us sees a type of love that makes zero sense to them. When everything is going good, it's easy to love somebody. But when everything is going bad and crap hits the fan, like, and you still lay your life down for your wife, that's going to make your unsaved neighbor go, something's up there. Something's up. They're going to see a type of love they've never seen before and one that resembles the love that the father had for the world when he said, I'm gonna give my one and only son. Newsflash, the world wasn't necessarily turning to God and showering love and affection onto God at that moment, were they? He says, while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. It's the love that Jesus actually had that pinned him and held him to a cross when he looked at a crowd of people and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The ones who literally beat him, lashed him, had done all of these things. He was saying, God, I love them self-sacrificially. And it was that self-sacrificial love that bore witness to another kingdom. And so also, when we as married couples, as future married couples, as when we, even as single people, if, if we, we go in this self-sacrificial type of love, we represent the kingdom. It's kind of like, so it's kind of like this analogy. I feel like God gave me this analogy. Yeah, I painted this myself. Yeah, I did. It's kind of cool. But it's kind of like this analogy. So you have a woman, you have a woman and you have a man coming together, right? Through sex, through oneness, right? And this oneness binds them together. It literally, like chemically, phys- physically and chemically, hormonally, it binds two people together. That's what sex does. And so it binds them together. And the, the world sees this, this binding together, right? But how many of us know culture and just life circumstances is trying every, they're trying their hardest to actually pull this thing apart and try to rip it, rip it apart. You know, you have, you have, you know, porn as accessible as ever and it's trying to pull the man away from his wife. You have, you know, the dishes that have been in the sink for two weeks and the man just keeps walking on by him. Like he's trying to pull them apart. You have the, you have the three or four kids and they all got soccer practice and you haven't had a date night in three months. It's trying to pull you apart, right? The world and all of its systems is trying to pull you apart. And then you're watching movies and everything where hookup culture is just so easily and readily accessible. Like culture is literally setting us up for failure and it's all trying to pull us apart. And guess what? God God and the world can see this union. The world can see this union, but they're also watching how you're responding to the tension. They're watching how you're responding. They don't only see the union, they also see the tension. And when they see the tension that's in your life, they see the tension that's in your life and you, you and your spouse, you're actually choosing self-sacrificial love in that moment. What you're doing is you're actually putting a picture in your frame and it's representing Christ to the world. They might see a gaping hole, but you know what's in that hole. And they're gonna say, they're gonna say, what is inside of you that's holding you guys together? And we have the opportunity to represent Christ to them. We have the opportunity. So, We were not made for sex. That's not why we were made. We were made to bear the image of a self-sacrificial, loving God. And through sex, to actually become one with our spouse. And that oneness would glue us so tightly together that it would fuel us to self-sacrificially love them when we experience trouble. And in so doing, we actually represent the love of Christ in a way that the world has never seen before. That's the purpose of sex. Do we catch it? To bind two people together so that they might self-sacrificially love one another and represent that love from God to the rest of the world. Now, 
as we close tonight. A lot of you guys might be hearing me and you've been hearing me talk about sex and hear me talk about oneness between a man and a woman in the confines of marriage. That's, that's the biblical way, the biblical blessing is on sex when it's in between a male and a female in the covenant of marriage, right? And you've been hearing me about this, but I know that some of you in this room, while I've been talking to you today, the enemy is trying to bring up old things from your past, and he's trying to breed condemnation to you. He's trying to disqualify you and actually steal all of your hope from experiencing the beauty of what I've been talking about for these past 30 minutes. And he's saying, see, that sounds really good, right? That sounds really good, but that could never be you because you've done this, that, and the third. That sounds like, I don't know if you're actually worthy to find a man of God like that or a woman of God like that when you've done such and such. And I just, I wanna speak to that. I wanna speak to that condemnation today. And I want to remind it of who our God is. This is the God who left everything to come and redeem a whole humanity. And specifically, I wanna look at a passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 through 7. Because what the enemy is trying to do is he's trying to get us to identify with our flesh, identify with the way that we used to be before we became to know Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 through 17, this is what it says. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And it's easy to hear this and to apply it to other people. It's easy to hear this and say, yes, that's for them. Or yes, this was for me when I first gave my life to Jesus. But what about now when I've sinned and I've messed up so many times? Can God still make me new? I have news for you today. We used to regard each other according to our flesh, according to our past mistakes. But God, through his mercy, when we come to him in deep dependence and we say, I'm turning from my sin, I wanna follow you, Jesus. No matter if it's your hundredth time or your first time ever, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And all of those old things, all of those old memories, they've passed away. And behold, every single thing about your life is new. Everything, everything. My heart cry today is that we would live in that newness. My heart cry today is that we wouldn't let shame and condemnation steal the hope that we have to actually pursue a godly and biblical sex life one day. We're done. We're done with it. We regard ourselves according to the flesh no longer. Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things, every single thing has become new. Maybe you're sitting here today and you know 
deep in your heart that you've never actually accepted this free gift from Jesus of newness. Maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe you're sitting in the back. You're, you're watching and you're saying, I, I really do want to be free. I really do want to be freed from those old things, all of those perpetual thoughts, all of those thoughts that just go in my mind and they, they convince me of my shame and convince me that I'm never actually gonna pursue what God's best is for my life. I'm never actually gonna reach it. You can be free today. You can be free. And the first step for your freedom is making Jesus the Lord of your life. To say, God, I agree that this old life, all it's ever done is bring me death. God, I wanna come to you and I want you to make me new inside. I want you to free me from all of those old things that I've done. I want you to cleanse my conscience from dead works, from things and ways that have gone against your word. And I want to pursue you, the living God. So would everyone bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you today and you're saying, I wanna be free. Jared, I wanna be born again. Jared, I, I need to be freed from this. I'm done trying to live this life. I'm done faking it. I'm done playing church and then messing around on the weekends and being involved in all of these different things. God, Jared, it's time for me to come clean. I wanna be free. I want these old things to pass away so that all things in me can become new. If that's you and you wanna give your life to Jesus, would you raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Would you raise your hand? Thank you, God. I see one hand. I see two hands. Thank you, Jesus. Three hands. Thank you, Father. I love you, Jesus. We love you, God. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Love you, Lord. You can put your hands down. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, would we all pray this prayer together as we all commit ourselves to Jesus in this moment? We're making a verbal commitment to Jesus. Would we all pray this prayer? Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. I believe that you died and rose again, defeating death, sin, and the devil. God, I'm done with my old life. I want to make you from this day forward the Lord and the master of my life. Holy Spirit, help me to walk in the way of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. That's so beautiful. So, so beautiful. Come on, guys. Thank you guys so much.